Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Good afternoon again. Glad to see everyone. Okay, let's pray before we begin. Uh, Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word and how you reveal yourself to us through it. Um, thank you for your spirit that is moving among us in, uh, in worship, through song, and through giving. Lord, I just pray that as we examine um, the text and examine um, the content, that you would give us uh, the clarity and the ability to um, apply these spiritual truths to our lives so that we can glorify you and honor you um, and seek to do your will um, in all circumstances. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you want to open your Bibles, and I hope you do want to do so, uh, you can open to Matthew 14, uh, beginning in verse 1 through 12. Um, and so we just kind of came out of um, the parables, and to me this kind of, it's a dramatic jump from the parables to the story of John the Baptist's head being chopped off and delivered on a platter. I mean, uh, it's some different extremes here, but I think it's important to examine how John the Baptist got to this point, um, or at least examine uh, some of the highlights from John's life that led to this climactic scene of um, the demanding of his head on a, on a platter. Uh, and so I think to fully um, understand the weight of the text, I think it's important to examine um, all perspectives. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the text, and you guys can camp out in Matthew 14, and I'll kind of ref reference some other parts in Scripture, but um, no need to try to flip back and forth because it's best to just camp right here in Matthew 14. Uh, so beginning at verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd since they regarded John as a great prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. So to fully understand the weight of what happens here in Matthew 14, um, like I said, we need to examine the, uh, the various truths throughout the life of John the Baptist. Uh, we need to examine his life of faithfulness under, under God um, in order to see Christ's calling to come um, and place our lives um, at his feet um, and be willing to die at the cross of Christ. Um, so, in reflection of John's life, I want to discuss six characteristics um, about his life, and for each characteristic, also uh, discuss the applicable truth that we have to gain from it. 
Um, So first, we see that John's days were destined by the Lord. He was born with a specific purpose um, and timing in history. Um, So as many of you know, his parents, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah, um, they were infertile. Elizabeth had a hard time. She was barren um, for most of the years of her life, but then in her old age, uh, she became pregnant with John. Uh, And it's because God knew exactly when John the Baptist needed to be born in history in order to pave the way for Jesus to come. Um, he knew and numbered all of John's days uh, before, there were, before any of them even began. Um, he had design and purpose in the timing of his birth and in the family that John was born to, being a relative of Jesus. Um, and in that very significant vi- visit of Mary to Elizabeth's house, Um, the Bible says that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So even before John's birth, his purpose was being aligned and God was calling him. So even before we're born, even before our parents thought of us, God was already planning our lives and our purpose in him, our purpose in his will and how that purpose would fit into his kingdom to come. And, and the truth that we see from God's alignment and placement in history, it's not only specific to John the Baptist. Um, in the same way that he placed John in a specific time in history, he's also placed you and I in a specific time, in a specific generation, and in a specific place. Um, so God's timing in our lives is also very perfect. Uh, when we think that maybe um, our time is wasted or... Uh, we're in the wrong season of life, or, you know, some people will say, oh, I was, I was born into the wrong generation. Um, it's not so, and it's not true, because God ordained this to happen, and he has ordained each and every place for us to be um, at that specific time, and it, it's never for waste. It's never for nothing. It's for you uh, to grow. Um, as John, you know, he became more and more devoted to the Lord throughout his life, Um, but it's also for you to reach uh, the people of the generation that you're born into. Uh, God is redeeming every second of history, but also of our present. He's redeeming every second we invest into his kingdom. Um, So the first characteristic is John's days were destined by the Lord, and he was born at a specific time, and also our days um, were destined by the Lord. Uh, The second characteristic is that John grew up strong in spirit. He answered God's call and lived with clear direction. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth recognized the clear calling of the Lord on their son. They embraced it and encouraged God's purpose to be fulfilled through their child. Um, I'm not a parent, so I I don't know (laughs) a lot about parenting, but I'm willing to assume and bet that most Christ-following parents want God's purpose for their children to be fulfilled. Um, They begin praying for their children long before they are even born, and they hope that their child will walk in the ways of the Lord, um, and they pray for themselves to raise um, their children in the ways of the Lord. Um, And normally in this culture, um, the firstborn child would take um, either the name of the father or um, at least a family name. Um, However, both parents honored uh, the words given to them by, by Gabriel. Uh, angel, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, came to them and um, said that he would be named John, and he was announcing 
um, his purpose for John or, or God's purpose for John um, and that he would be the forerunner for Jesus and that it was very important for him uh, to be born and to live this role and to step into this role. Um, but um, Zechariah doubted what Gabriel had said and he um, doubted that it was the truth. And so as a consequence, Zechariah was silenced. Um, he was unable to talk. Um, but then one day we see in the Gospel of Luke that Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name will be John. And so he had accepted what uh, the angel of the Lord had said to him, uh, what God's prophecy for John was. Um, and the Bible goes on to explain that immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and that he began praising God um, and prophesying over his son, saying, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Um, later in the same passage, uh, it says that John grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Um, and as many of you know, prophets were very known for going into the desert uh, as a type of spiritual retreat or um, sabbatical time to where they can focus solely on and growing spiritually in the Lord and learning um, his laws and his statutes. Um, but by living apart from the culture and preparing for ministry, John was able to speak with great passion and clarity for the people of his day. Um, and so the truth that we have to gain from John's life regarding uh, the way he grew in spirit um, is that God had a plan for John's life his life would, of course, pave the way for Christ, um, but John also had a specific role to play. He was the forerunner uh, for Christ. Um, and likewise, we have been called to play a specific role in the overarching commandment from Christ to, to make disciples, right? Um, I mean, the whole Bible is kind of summed up in this um, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, make disciples of all nations. Of course, there's many intricacies and um, other things throughout the Bible, but um, even his word itself says that um, all the laws of the prophets are summed up in this, that you love the Lord your God and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so Christ's final commandment was this great commission that we would go into the world um, and preach this gospel as a testimony to all nations, um, to every tribe, tongue, um, and ethnicity. Um, but, as you know, we can't all be forerunners for Jesus, like John the Baptist. Some of us will be uh, great evangelists and preachers of the gospel. Some of us will be committed prayer warriors who are combating the, the evil forces of this invisible war that's always going on around us. Um, and some of us will give so sacrificially to no end to see a maximum number of missionaries being sent to where Jesus Christ has not yet been named. Um, so let us, like John, uh, seek to grow in spirit, to know God's will for our lives and how our lives play a specific role um, in his great commission, in his great commandment, and then ask God for the, um, for the ability to obey it. When we discover God's will for our lives, let us obey it. There's been so many times in my life where I'm at a restaurant and I see someone clearly sitting alone and I can feel the prompting of the Spirit saying, start a conversation with this person. Like, 
Show them my love. Show them that, that I have saved you and that this same salvation I've offered you is offered to all people. And I've allowed things that I wanted to cling on to with an iron fist, like my pride or the sense of being awkward. And I've completely ignored um, what the Spirit was prompting in that moment. And so I'm, this was very challenging to me. And I also want to challenge you guys that when the Spirit calls us, when the Spirit prompts us and He commands um, that we share this truth with others, immediately pray and ask God to give us the ability to obey it. And it's then that any risk that we were facing in that moment, the reward will be much greater. Um, so the second characteristic was that He grew in spirit and that He was designed for a specific purpose. Moving on to the third characteristic, uh, John didn't let anything get in his way, but kept his heart set on Christ. John continued on in his mission. He lived in the desert. He took the Nazarite vows, um, so he, he didn't uh, cut his hair. He was living very minimally. Um, and all this while, he was living his days with specific purpose. Uh, his clothing and diet were very simple. He wasn't loaded down with uh, the cares and desires of this world to have a big fat house and a big fat car, a uh, big fat wife. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I owe that one to my dad. He makes that joke way too often. But anyway, um, so his life wasn't loaded down with all these things that were temporary, um, but instead he committed his life to things that were eternal. Um, and though it seems extreme to us to live such a life of going off to live in the desert and eating bugs. And God doesn't require this of all of us. What was important was that John clearly heard the call of God for his life, and he obeyed it. And there was no question to, am I going to commit halfway to this, or am I willing to lay my life on the line and commit fully to this? Um, and I think it's important that it's not easy. Um, in fact, it's probably one of the hardest things ever to say yes to God in every circumstance. I mean, I've never met anyone other than Jesus, well, yeah, Jesus himself, uh, who was willing to say, you know, if there's any way, let this cut pass from me, but nonetheless, not my will, God, but yours be done. Um, and I know I speak for myself when I say there are so many times that um, I'm asking for my will to be done instead of his. Um, but it's in those moments that we have to repent and we have to um, say, God, no, <laughs> please don't give me my way, because if you do, it'll just be a disaster. Um, he lived with focused determination and purpose. He knew and understood God's call, and he pursued it with his whole heart and life. Um, and in the same way, there will be many days, weeks, and sometimes years uh, when saying, God, saying yes to God will hands down be the hardest thing that we will ever do. Uh, there will be seasons of life in which God has given us very few details of what's next. Instead, he has only maybe illuminated the very next step to us. Um, and we have to have the trust and the faith to take that one step at a time um, and trust that he's going to continue leading our path each step of the way, each moment of the way. Um, and as we sing about before, he will never forsake us and he will be there. Um, and we will always find him constant. Um, but even in our times of living in the desert, so to speak, when 
our spirit feels dry and barren, he has not forsaken us then either. He's using those times for a particular sanctification that we need. Um, and we just have to trust that he knows what is best for us far more than we know what's best for ourselves. Um, and there will be seasons in life in which um, it may be hard to trust God, and we will never be perfect at trusting him every step of the way. Um, but he still gives us the power to keep our hearts and our minds set on Christ, um, even in these times um, of doubt and difficulty. Moving on to number four, John the Baptist was a strong and humble leader. Um, I think, yeah, when I think about people, um, spiritual heroes of mine, I think, wow, like they had every right to be proud of their ministry efforts. They had every right to, to be arrogant because they're the greatest evangelist of our day or, or something. Um, and when I look at people in the Bible and I see John the Baptist in his ministry, I think this guy was a phenomenal gospel preacher. This guy was a phenomenal prophet, but he never asked for any other credit. He never asked to be glorified himself, um, but he knew that his sole purpose was to point others to Christ. Uh, he didn't live for the opinions of others, but he lived with compassion to see others brought to repentance towards Christ. Many people followed John and came to hear him preach, but he didn't let that uh, make him become proud or arrogant or self-focused. Um, he preached repentance of sins, pointing others to the Savior, and he knew he needed um, this repentance and this need for the Savior just as much as everyone else. I think in Matthew 3, um, John the Baptist is quoted, um, and it really uh, encompasses his humility as a leader. Um, and he's baptizing uh, a new convert, and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come someone who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I think we as servants of Christ should come before him, not to say, look at these talents and these abilities that I have to offer you, but instead bring ourselves prostrate before the Lord, saying, God, I have nothing apart from what you have given me, but for the things that you've blessed me with, with my family, with skills and talents and abilities that have only come from you, I ask that you would use myself and these things to make your glory known to the world. And I wholeheartedly believe that if this is our position before Christ, that he will answer us with a resounding yes, I will use you for my glory. And never to come to him with any type of arrogance or pride, but like John, lay our faces at his feet and say, I'm unworthy to even unshackle your sandals. And that he will use us as long as we trust in his power to work within us. Number five, he lived solely to point others to Christ and he was obedient to God's purpose. Uh, many people asked John who he really was. They wondered if he was the promised Messiah or Elijah or even a false prophet. Yet John clearly and firmly answered no to all of these and repeatedly pointed others to Christ. His mission was only to give direction towards our Savior. This is never clearer than when he baptized Jesus himself at the request of Jesus uh, in the Jordan River. Days later, an argument had developed between some of John's disciples um, when they saw many people beginning to follow Jesus um, as a result of uh, John's preaching. Uh, jealousy had really set in among the disciples, um, and they were really disturbed, but John didn't even give in to this 
petty drama that was going on between the disciples. Um, He stayed focused on the work that was at hand, and he stayed focused on what he knew God had called him to do. Um, And in John 3.30, he's quoted uh, saying what I believe to be one of John's most famous quotes is that he must become greater and I must become less. Um, And what what a stab in the heart about humility. And as I was pondering on this verse itself, I began to think that the two are in direct correlation with one another, that as we seek to exalt Christ and exalt um, his power in us and in the world, we will automatically become less and less. Um, We don't have to try to make ourselves less if we focus on making much of Jesus. Uh, But when we begin making much of ourselves and glorifying our own efforts and our own kingdom, that is when people will stop to see God at work within us, and our lives will stop being a testimony um, to God um, and his, his power to forgive us and his power to use us. Um, and so the two are not mutually exclusive. They are directly correlated. You cannot do both. You have to, we have to make much of Christ, make much of Jesus um, and his power to save, um, and ourselves will automatically fade into the background. Um, So in our ministry efforts, and more specifically our successes, it can be easy to become arrogant and proud. Um, We forget that the hope of glory is not ourselves, but the hope of glory is Christ in us. Um, And like I said, if anyone in ministry ever had um, a reason to be proud of their work, I think it was John the Baptist. Uh, But he knew that his mission was to point others to Christ. And likewise, our mission in this life is to point others to Christ in our words, uh, in the way we conduct our lifestyle, um, and in the deeds that we do, um, not to earn salvation, but because of our salvation, um, to do great works for God, um, but only by His Spirit, not by our own uh, will or by our own power. Um, And then finally, we come to the sixth and final characteristic um, of this sermon about about John the Baptist, and it brings us to this climactic scene um, of his death. Um, and the characteristic is that John the Baptist was brave uh, and was willing to speak truth even if it meant his own death. He was not afraid of the religious or political leaders of his day. He saw beyond their exterior, um, beyond their hypocrisy, and he saw the deeper part of their heart. He spoke the truth with clarity and passion. He didn't live to please people, but simply to preach the need for forgiveness of sins. He called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees for what they truly were. He knew their hearts and lives were far from God, although they were very busy with professing professing him with their mouths. Um, He spoke the hard truth to Herod. Um, As we saw in this text, he said, it is not lawful for you to take um, your brother's wife as your own. He called out the incestual dance that we talked about. Uh, And as we know, it results in his death. Um, it actually bothered Herod so much that first he had John imprisoned, and even he didn't want to have, well, he did want to have John killed, but he didn't because everyone had been revering John as this great prophet. And so he just said, okay, well, we'll put him in prison, and this will suffice. Um, but it wasn't good enough for, um, for the daughter of uh, Herodias. Uh, and as we saw in verse 8, it said um, that prompted by her mother, she commanded to have John's head on a platter. And so yet, even in this heartless, cruel plot, John's death was not in vain. 
For to live for Christ, to speak truth, to point others to him is never in vain. His mission was completed. God's call was with him even unto death. Um, the calling on his life to be this great prophet had finally come to an end, and he had been faithful all along to do what God had asked him to do. Not that he didn't have trouble believing that this was the way it should end. Not that he didn't wrestle with these things. All the people in the Bible were not Jesus, so all the people in the Bible were also sinful people, and they also struggled with accepting the will of God. Um, however, uh, the will of God had brought John to this point, and a lot of people may say that uh, John was killed at the hands um, of an evil ruler and that he died a prisoner, um, but I don't believe that to be so. Um, I believe that he lived um, in the freedom um, from sin and from social expectations, um, and he lived in the freedom that is doing the will of God. And so because he died doesn't mean that he was killed as a prisoner, um, but rather that Jesus had set him free. Um, and as we see uh, in John 8, 36, that if the Son sets you free, then you are truly free, um, free from, from this life and free from sinning um, and cross over into eternity. Um, and so after John's cruel death and after his, this um, terrible, terrible deed by Herod, we know that Jesus, too, was delivered over to the hands of evil men. Um, but the truth that we can bring from this is that to follow Christ, we give all that we are and we give all that we have. Um, not just some of all that we have um, and not just all of part of our life that we have, but we truly give him everything. Um, this includes our family, our friends, our kids, our jobs. We give these things and we ask him, use me in the best way that I can be used to make your glory known to the most people. Use me in such a way that I can have a conversation with someone about the forgiveness of sins and prompt me to share this message that I've so freely received um, to be bold and to share it with others. Um, so what will it cost me what will it cost you? This is the question that has been resounding in my mind over and over and over um, just since I was assigned this text. Um, and I think it's important for me to consider during this time of transition, but it's a question that every Christian has to come to terms with. Uh, what will it cost me to truly follow Christ closely, to follow him to unlikely places, uh, to be born and to live in an unlikely time uh, where Christianity has seemed um, to move far away from where it once was. Uh, and so, for John the Baptist, it costed him his head. It costed him his life to stay faithful to the call of God. Um, but I asked several of my friends that are living in various places this very same question. What will it cost you? Um, and so I have some of their answers here as a, as a testimony um, to what it has costed them to follow Christ. A missionary family I know living in Southeast Asia said, in order for us to answer this question, we first had to approach it from the stance of um, what are we willing for it to cost us? Um, and their answer was everything, even their own lives. 
However, God does not always require that of his servants in the same way that he required it of John the Baptist. This is a question we have to come back to regularly and reevaluate our answer. Most often, it is not a physical death that is required, but rather a death to ourselves daily, on a daily basis in the mundane of everyday life. Am I willing to lay aside my plans to go and pray with a sick neighbor? Open the doors to my home late at night when I really just want some me time? Wake up early to pray for anyone who I will come in contact with? Of course, there are other costs like proximity to family, a nice home, good schools, and excellent health care. To live in an uncomfortable place, lonely and far from fellowship with the body. To experience suffering personally, as well as to see it in the lives of people that we serve. These are all costs that come at a great price. But hopefully in the end, we will find ourselves saying, I count it all as nothing that I may gain Christ. I count all these things as nothing that I may gain Christ. In, in, this, in this passage, I count my life as nothing. The word literally means dung. Uh, I count my life as dung compared to gaining the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus. Another missionary friend to the Philippines said, it will cost you everything, both big and small. It will cost you things like your brother's wedding, your favorite places to run. It will cost being there for friends when they have a death in their family. It will cost you seeing the beautiful changes of the seasons from spring to fall. Um, it will cost you your illusions of self-sufficiency and the ability to cl clearly communicate all of your thoughts and feelings to another person. It truly costs every intricate detail of your life being totally surrendered to him. Um, and finally, a pastor in the United States said, it is costly to follow Christ wholeheartedly, no doubt. But I'm convinced that the cost will be much greater if I ignore the mandate of Christ to lead my congregation to preach this message as a testimony to all nations. So while he agreed that the cost of following Christ is much great, is very great, the cost to ignore his calling will be much, much greater than anything that we are willing to sacrifice in this lifetime. Many of you are familiar with the life um, of Jim Elliott, um, or better yet, maybe you're more familiar with his wife, Elizabeth. Um, both of them were Christian missionaries to uh, Ecuador, to a tribal people group. Um, and Jim, as well as some other, some other men, um, were martyred as Christian missionaries in Ecuador by this, by this tribal people group. Um, but I think Jim really encompasses uh, this radical life of faith when he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about how um, there are things that are seen and there are things that are unseen, and how the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, and these people that I've mentioned, they're a few of many examples of people who were willing to look past the temporal uh, seen things of this lifetime in order to invest their lives in the eternal unseen things um, of a life with Christ. And so while John the Baptist is one example of these many people who have counted the cost of following Christ closely, even in times of uncertainty and extreme discomfort. And as we look at the condition of the world today, I conclude that we must be willing to cast aside our plans and our dreams 
um, and our hopes for ourselves and for our families uh, for the sake of finishing Christ's final commandment, the Great Commission. Truly, when Christ calls a person, he bids them to come and die. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for um, examples we have in Scripture of people who were wholeheartedly devoted to you um, from conception, Lord, to, to their death. Um, they sought to, to please you with their lives and to honor you with their mouths um, and to speak the truth even in times um, of danger, even in times when it meant their death. Um, and I ask that we will be a church and uh, we will be a people who are just as faithful as the examples that you've given us in your word and that we will remember our leaders who spoke the word of God to us and that we would consider the outcome of their way of life and that we would imitate their faith um, so that our lives will be holy and totally pleasing to you. Uh, in, in times of uncertainty and discomfort, Lord, let us, let us see those as opportunities for you to be glorified and you to be honored and let us be able to look past our circumstances and let us be able to look past uh, the discomfort, discomfort that we're experiencing. Um, and at the end, let us be able to say that you are worth it um, and that we count all of this as nothing if we might gain you in your riches. Uh, Lord, it is you in us um, who is the hope of glory by which you are revealing to the Gentiles the glorious mysteries of your gospel. And I just pray that you would make us more faithful in everything that we do. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.